Hello and welcome back to It's New Orleans Happy Hour, coming to you live from the Collins Hotel at 3811 St. Charles Avenue in Uptown New Orleans. The Collins Hotel is a great place to come and stay if you're coming to New Orleans and a great place to come and have a drink. If you're already in New Orleans, as we are, it's Happy Hour again. I'm Grant Morris and my special guests this week on Happy Hour are Khalil Osiris, founder of the Circle of Courage Mentoring Program. For young men and women, Khalil, or just men? Absolutely, women and uh, young men. Young men and young women. How young do you have to be to be mentored? You can be as young as grade school uh, and as old as 50 or 60. (laughs) All right, okay. And Amir Baraka is with us as well. Probably, I would say, would you say, would you agree with me, gentlemen, the best-looking man in New Orleans? Appreciate that, man. I would say say amazing-looking guy and a successful actor in the currently in HBO's Treme series. That's correct. And I've got a bunch of movies coming out as well soon. That's correct. And also a mentor, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Of young men at risk. Yeah, I was taught by Khalil. You're taught by Khalil? I was taught by Khalil. And you guys are both formally incarcerated? Absolutely. That's correct. That's not how you met, though? No, no, no. no, no, Thank goodness for that. And our third (laughs) guest today is Jeremy Mojo Phipps, who is the leader of a band called The Outsiders. Jeremy, thanks for coming down here, and you're going to play some music as well. Oh, yeah. Today. Now, you have not been incarcerated. No, not yet. What? (laughs) Are you serious? What's the the secret for staying out? Um, For staying out of jail? Yeah. Um, Eat, eat. Take regular showers. <laughs> <laughs> and back in our studios on the piano is Mitch Foreman. Mitch, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Grant? Good. Never been incarcerated, Mitch, or anything? Uh, not yet, but the, the day is young. It's, it's early. It's so only it's happy early. hour, after all. Mitch, That's what have you been up to? You've been yeah. out with Martin Short this week, I heard. I did. Last weekend, I went out with, to uh, um, Spokane, Washington with Martin Short. How did that go? What do you What do you do? Actually, you play the piano, and he's funny. He's funny. I'm funny looking, and he he, he kind of <laughs> acts out some of the characters that he's done throughout his career, and he dresses up as the characters and does like a song as each character. It's it's pretty hysterical. He's a great guy. And Ra- Rachel is here, who's our waitress. Rachel, we're ready for drinks. Uh, what are we having? A Riesling. Khalil, what do you have? Riesling. Yeah. Riesling. Riesling. Amir, a Riesling. Riesling. You guys drink Riesling. Is that some yeah. sort of a I, uh, jail? You know, I'm, no, that's what I'm wondering. I was about to ask. Have you ever been incarcerated? <laughs> I have not. You have not? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> What's the secret? <laughs> have you ever been caught doing anything naughty? Never. Never, Rachel. Very good. Never. Riesling, Riesling. Jeremy, what are you drinking? Oh, water. Just water? Yeah, cool. Really? You're the rock water. and roll guy. He's 19. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's 19. He's 19. That's how so you 19. keep your, your rock and roll going. Uh, you, you keep water, regularly hydrated, take showers. Yeah. <laughs> how, often, how often do you take a shower? <laughs> oh, like five times a day. <laughs> that's yeah, that's a, almost like prayer. <laughs> that's not a mental problem, Because you're on the wrong show. You could be on Slack. Right. Which is our other show about... About uh, OCD. Right. Yeah, I play, yeah, I, I drink water. You do? Now, you really are 19. Yeah. And did you, have you been, have you dropped out of high school or did you finish high school? Oh, yeah, I finished high school. I never went to college yet, but that's because I've been performing so much. Why is that? Because you don't want to go to college or you're an amazing trombone player and it's no point? <laughs> that's a good way to think about it, but no, I just like, I just been so busy that I like couldn't really get into it. Basically. <laughs> Are you too busy to get an education? Yeah. yeah just, I just, it was my choice. 
I chose not to go to college yet. Did you guys? I think I think I think there's a lot of people that are gifted and don't necessarily need college uh, because of their gifts. Uh, you could, you know, off the top of my head, you can think of one of the most prominent entertainers from New Orleans, Lil Wayne. Right. Uh, I mean, he got a GED. He has a GED, and I mean, he, last year he grossed twenty million dollars. So, <laughs> what do you do with an education? Why would I go get an education if I can make that kind of money? Nah. Now, I'm not totally against education. I am for education. However, like I said, there are some people that just are talented enough right. that they don't need education. Do you think Little Wayne would have got all those tattoos all over him if he'd had an education? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. There are some educated people with a lot of tattoos. Yeah. I met a professor at UCLA. Uh, he was a professor at UCLA. He had tattoos. He didn't have quite as many tattoos as Wayne, but he had a lot of tattoos. So is education, is the function of education to get a degree that allows you to make a lot of money, or is it... Let's talk about education. When you say education, right, there are so... Listen, New Orleans sends, Louisiana sends more politicians to prison than any place in America, and these people are educated people. So, I mean, whether you have education or not, it doesn't... doesn't, It's not an impediment for crime because they're educated right. people that commit crime. So does that mean they're too stupid? I don't. I don't. I don't completely believe I don't know. that. I'm not like, that smart. Think about that one. That yeah. like that college will anyway impede into like your education or anything mm-hmm. like that. I believe that like there's stuff that you can learn in college and there's a lot of stuff that you can that you can take from college and take out of it. But I mean, also if you didn't go to college, there's a lot of stuff to learn like around the world and. Just exploring the world and stuff like that. So each of them got its like pros and cons to me. Right. That's my that's I my agree. opinion. I concur. Mm-hmm. You guys, you guys both teach in, in, in college, Amir. And no, I don't teach in college. college. You don't teach in college. You teach in college. Yeah, um, I earned my bachelor's and master's degree from Boston University uh, while I was in prison, and so uh, for me that was a pivotal experience. Um, I was at the same prison that Malcolm Little became Malcolm X. Um, and attended Boston University where Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. earned his doctorate degree. So um, I understood, even as I was going through the experience, the significance of, of education for something more than simply getting a good job and helping yourself to the American dream. I, I was always taught that education should serve the purpose of helping others. And rather so, than helping yourself. Rather than simply looking at it for what you could do for yourself. Um, I, and I think that uh, the more we um, grow towards a society of, of specialized knowledge and specialized services, um, the more important education will become. Uh, consequently, um, even those who don't get a formal education will have to specialize in something. And so in this case... Uh, with the young man here with us today, um, he's specializing in music um, and has a very refined um, form of knowledge um, that is enhanced, as Amir says, by his gift and his um, his aptitude for learning music. And so, um, very, I think ultimately, when you have a young man as gifted as him, uh, his obligation in the context of meaningful education is to teach others. You couldn't do much better than teaching others th- through playing music, I assume, is what you're saying. Uh, it's a universal language. And, and, and if we think about how do we communicate, communicate across ethnicity uh, and all the other isms, uh, the, only, the only tool and the, the only language that has truly demonstrated, proved to be uh, universal, is music. Mm-hmm. And so 
um, that's the medium uh, leveraged with popular culture uh, that has universal appeal as well as being um, a standard, a platinum standard for how human beings can uh, interact and treat each other and grow to learn and respect each other. So only, only so many of us can play music <laughs> to yeah. any great degree. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I can't, I can't you play can't play Amir? I've, I've never tried. But, you know, I learned from uh, Sweet Honey in the Rock, Isai Barnwell. Uh, she came into the prison years ago, and she there were several guys who were saying they didn't know how to, to play music and really didn't know music. And she said, no, everybody, every human being can participate in music because every human being is part of the sound that creates a universal music. Yeah. Uh, so you would you? List, I believe that, like, I mean, I, be, I believe actually the same. Um, like, listening to music is just as important to playing the music because, I mean, if you're playing music, you got to have people to listen. So just like music, like music, us as musicians can, like, comprehend with, like, all these people from all around the world, we can also listen to music from all around the world because it all has, like, the same structure. In the same formality. I mean, of course, everything has its own, like, unique sound or whatever like that. But So you taught yourself to play the trombone? Yeah. How do you do that? <laughs> I mean, why didn't you teach yourself to play the trombone? <laughs> I was, the as, at, at that age, I was, uh, at 19, I was in California on the run. I From what? Yeah, I committed a felony here. I got busted with five ounces of cocaine and uh, I was on the run. I, I, I fled. So How did you get away? I was doing a great job. I made bond and I, I ran. Wow. Yeah, I How ran. far did you get before they got you? I got to California and I stayed there for four years and that's when I discovered uh, the gift of acting uh, was, uh, was lying dormant within, within me. Yeah. What was I thought you discovered the gift of acting was to pretend you weren't a criminal or something? No, 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 no. I was a criminal. I was a criminal. Yeah, I know, but I, did you, you get away it. with it? No, I didn't get away. I, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, for four years? Did for you get four away? years. For four years, I ran and uh, I studied the craft of acting. Uh, while while this, you're on the run? While I was basically. on the run, yeah. Did you have that hanging I, over your head every day? Like, absolutely. But at, but at 19, you don't worry about it. At 19, kids at 19, don't, they don't worry. This kid doesn't worry about anything. Do you worry about anything? No. <laughs> nothing, nothing at all. I just don't care about anything. <laughs> Taking showers. <laughs> no, he's going to worry about that shower. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I, used I, to, I used to, while I was on the run, I used to sneak into Warner, Warner Brothers' lot right. and watch actors perform. I'm talking about I was sneaking to the lot. What sort of security have they got at Warner they, Brothers? They got very tight security, but me being a criminal, you know. You're a natural criminal. I'm a natural. I was a born. No, I wasn't a born criminal, but I, 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 I grew into a criminal. Yeah, but you, the thing is, you, I was sneaking to uh, I was sneaking to Warner Brothers. Could you tell us how you sneak into Warner Brothers? Because well, there's ways you can get in because they're they're like on on the like if you go, go into Warner Brothers, you can't get into Warner Brothers. Because the security is right there, right? Right. But on the on the left hand side and on the right hand side, it's the little little, little, little little fences. Yeah. They're fences. You jump the fence. You can actually jump the fence. They don't have a security camera at a film studio. I mean, at that time they didn't apparently because I got in there quite a few times. Wow. How I'm long, telling you what I did. How long ago was it? Uh, that was uh, what? That was ninety ninety five. No, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, I'm sure they had the security camera invented by nineteen ninety five. Who did you, you what I Who did. did you watch acting there? Uh, it was a. Uh, who was acting at the time was, uh, it was, uh, what's his name? Cuban Gooding Jr.'s brother, little yeah. brother. He had a television show. I don't know the name of the show, but his brother had it. But I would go from lot to lot. The stages are really big. So you just go in and watch different people perform. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And so is that how you learned to act? Well, no, no. It, it inspired me because I've seen young people, young men my age. And, and I said to myself, 
I'm a loser because I'm out here selling drugs. These people are making a, a decent living. You got busted with five ounces of coke in New Orleans. Right. And you took off. And you continue to sell drugs in Los Angeles? No, I didn't sell any drugs in Los Angeles. Oh, you weren't selling drugs? No, I discovered, I discovered what life was all about when I left New Orleans. Right. Yeah. I, it, the thing was that I never, here in New Orleans, I have never seen black people live wealthy. Yeah. When I got to L.A., I met Jim Brown. I went to Jim Brown's home. He lived in, in the hills. And I, I, just never see, I just never knew that black people can be successful. I just, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. You didn't see these people out in New Orleans East with the Mercedes? No, the, I didn't see those people. Nice was, SUVs running I was, around. I was restricted to New Orleans, right to the Calio right. Housing Project. That's right. where I lived. That's where I did everything. So that was your entire I, reality I, was the Calio Housing Absolutely. I was limited, just like a lot of kids are now. They're just limited. So that was probably the best thing you did was getting busted with the five ounces that of was the and taking off. That was the best thing that ever could have happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. How did you get busted, actually? Uh, a guy, a friend of mine, actually told the cops on me. That's some, yeah. that's some friend. What? For? No, no, he was a great friend. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, in appreci- retrospect, in I retrospect, I appreciate. At the that. time, did you, you think that was life. a cool thing to do? Oh, at the time. I mean, at the time, I was ignorant at the time. But now, I, looking yeah. back in retrospect, I'm like, I was, I was, it was a blessing. Did you ever think about killing him? No, no. Never crossed your mind to kill that guy who turned you in. No, 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 no. Actually, when I got to prison, he slept right next to me. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So he got busted as well. He got busted. Eventually, he did another crime, and he got busted. And right. we wind up in the same prison. And uh, I knew it. He didn't know that I knew. But I thank God that he did because it changed my life. How long did you spend inside? Four years. Wow. Khalil, how long were you in for? 20 years. 20 years? 20 years. What did you do? Robbery and fraud by credit transfer. Um, I actually... Uh, my first incarceration was for five years. Uh, it was a robbery of a drugstore. Um, I didn't use drugs, but um, there was an opportunity to uh, set up a drug deal um, where the, the person who wanted the drugs uh, was interested in pharmaceuticals, Class A pharmaceuticals. And so uh, I set up a robbery of a drugstore. I got the, the Class A's and uh, where, sold them. Was this here? No, in Ohio. Was this in Ohio? Yes, in Ohio. And um, I went to prison. They caught you? Oh, they caught me. On the uh, night you did it? No, no, absolutely not. Um, a few months later, one of the individuals who um, committed the offense with me, he got caught that night and um, provided information that later led to my arrest. See, it's all yeah. working with other people that screws you up. Oh, you yeah, but, yeah, but, on yeah, I, have <laughs> a, um, I have a story. That, um, Someone told you? Oh, no, um, I... <laughs> Now, I have a brother that was um, wrongfully convicted of murder, and he's been in jail for 11 years. Yeah, he was a rapper. He used to rap with No Limit, No Limit Records. Uh, is, is Mac? Mac's yeah. your brother? Brother? Yeah. Listen. Oh. Hey, man, I we, know Mac. Yeah. I personally travel on the road with, with, with Mac. No Limit. Yeah, oh, with wow. No Limit. I just I, I purchased a painting from your mother. Your mother, get, she, she paints, mother? right? Yeah, 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 she painted my portrait. Yeah, yeah, I support your mother. We supported yeah. your mother on yeah, the, one of the fun yeah, fundraisers, fundraisers that yeah, she did. Yeah, your oh, mother's yeah. a dear friend of ours. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and listen, this, and, and listen, his his brother is definitely wrong convict, wrong wrongfully convicted. He what, didn't kill a guy. What happened? What did happen? Well, far as my knowledge goes, I was young, but I mean, when it happened and all that, but um, it was like a club. It was like a club setting. Of course, he was performing. And then somebody got shot in the crowd or whatever like that. It, he, he like, was, a, fight, a fight broke out before that. So and he was um, he was on stage performing. Is yeah, that? and then the fight broke out with like some of his affiliates or something, right. something like that. And then that turned into like 
it, it escalated till somebody got killed or whatever like that. And then he was running through the crowd with a gun because he was trying to find, like, the family and, like, get us to, well, I wasn't there. But get them together and get them to leave. But somebody thought that he shot the gun or whatever. Like, like, and it's okay, a see, big, this is, long story. This is what I find interesting <laughs> about so many of these stories that I've heard. This is the similar that you guys have heard many more right. than I have. But the, the, somewhere in the story, there's always, and he had a gun. Yes. Like you just said, Andy had a gun. Okay, the guy's going to a gig. He's going on stage to sing. Yes. Why has he got a gun? Well, the thing is, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I travel on the road with no limit, right? Mm -hmm. Most rap artists, not most, all rap artists have guns. Yeah. Because the thing is, they win two, three hundred thousand dollar change. They win four hundred thousand dollar watches. People want to take that from you. People because, want to t- be- because do you think these? But what about these businessmen who walk down the street in New York with their fancy? Well, they're being, they being fleeced in some kind of way. They may not be, be fleeced by but, by a gun, but by pencil and paper. They're being a Madoff. Let's talk about Madoff. Okay. Hey, I mean, but he's 50 not walking, billion. He's not, but he stole fifty billion. He, he robbed someone of fifty he, billion. He, he, but he is the thief. <laughs> yeah, he's a thief. So I mean, he's stolen in a different way. He robbed in a different yeah, way. Yeah, but I'm talking about innocent people who are walking down the street, like like your brother is on stage. Well, those people, guy. those people were innocent. Madoff, the people that Madoff fleeced. But look at the environment. Right. Exactly. The other, the other part to this is you have an environment where you're living a, a, a very, very flashy lifestyle, um, and there are those individuals whose whole mindset is predatory. Mm. They see an opportunity to take what you have, and because they believe that they have a right to what you have, for no other reason than the fact that you came out of the same environment as they did and you're not doing anything for them many ca- in many cases. Right. And so there's all kinds of hostilities and jealousies uh, grow out of that. And now, if you look at it in the context of murder, let's, take, let's just take murder because New Orleans is the murder capital of the nation. Mm-hmm. There are four elements that define across the country um, what we see as the key factors for murder. One is... Generally speaking, the individuals knew each other. Number two, the individuals had an altercation of some sort whereby they ended up angry with each other. Number three, one or the other went looking for the person that they were angry at. And number four, it results in death. So if you, if you really begin to look at the commonalities where we find murders committed, whether it's a wrongful conviction or a rightful conviction, you're seeing that there are things about the dynamics of murder that are predictable. It's, it has to do with the kinds of relationships that we have with each other. And we call these antisocial relationships, relationships that are driven by hostilities, jealousies, and all kinds of other um, uh, really uh, painful experiences that have shaped our common or collective experience. And so if you, if you recognize that you have a young man like Mac who's thrust into an environment where he is seen as a star. There's no question. I mean, Mac was one of the, the, the greatest rising stars to come up out of uh, No Limit. Everybody knew that. Right. And so um, he had a lot of people who were angry uh, at him for reasons that he had no knowledge of. People are jealous of the guy. That's Absolutely. what it, com- it comes down to that. Absolutely, and people are acting on that in different ways. So you have a young man who understands that he has people who will take what he has, and so he arms himself, thinking that that's the best way for him to protect himself, when in fact 
the minute that he picks up that gun, he makes himself even more vulnerable mm. without even recognizing it. And that's, yeah. that's exactly what happened in the case of Mac. Yeah. He became more vulnerable the minute he decided to have a gun because when you stand in front of a jury and they say, and you tell them you didn't commit the murder, but you had a gun, for most, for the average person, they're asking themselves, wait a minute, you're a, you're a rap artist, you've got security, you're in, a, you're in an environment whereby you can call on the police and you're carrying a gun? No, that's unacceptable. It does sound preposterous, doesn't it? Yes. But, and so how, how do you break that cycle of people believing that they have to be armed to protect themselves when, in fact, what you're saying is being armed is the opposite of protecting it's, yourself, it's turning yourself into things, a victim? It's one of those things, like, if, you have, if, somebody has, if you think somebody has a gun, then you think you need a gun to defend yourself. And, like, then it's just, like, it just goes back and forward and back and forward. But that is what's happening. Everybody's got a gun because it's the Wild yeah. West mentality. If I don't have one, that's someone's exactly, going to kill that's, me. That's exactly why somebody will get a gun, because that statement, everyone has a gun. Yeah. So, like, if everybody keep on thinking that everybody has a gun, well, they then do. everybody's going to yes. need a gun. Everybody <laughs> does have a gun. Right. Yes. That's, that's why Kalia and I are in this that's business why of saving doing, kids. That's exactly. why we're doing what we're doing. Helping I, youth and preventing crime. Absolutely. I, I, at the age of 14 years old, I took a guy's life. And I took a guy's life because he came into my project selling drugs. I mean, it's just territorial. It's, it's you're conditioned to think this way. I mean, Can just, I ask you a question? Yes. Did you know at 14 how wrong that was? How final that was to take somebody's life? I mean, you, you're oblivious at 14 to a lot of things. The only thing that I knew was, was that it was wrong for him to be in my project doing what he was doing. That, at that particular time, I mean, because you're groomed. You're groomed. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, you're groomed. You're brought up this way, to think this way. Hmm. I mean, that's the antisocial uh, thinking that goes on in these environments. And what is, what is the territory that he's encroaching on? Is it, is it just... Is it just territory like this is my home, or is it because it's a market for drugs that he's well, encouraging? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a market for drugs. It's, I mean, listen. Now, how old were you when you started selling drugs? Uh, I was 13. I was 13. It, 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 listen, it, it's, the thing is, is that everything repeats itself. It's just like in the days when Jesse James and all these guys, man. It's just, it's just, just the same. Now, at first, it was, it, was, it was white America that was doing it. Riding around the day, you know, riding around in, in New York, gunning down people with machine guns, and now blacks are doing it. It, it just, it, it just evolves. It constantly evolves. So, you know, it, it's, it's nothing that that is strange. It's something that has happened and happened and, ha- and has happened before. So, how did it evolve out of that happening in New York when there are Italian guys riding around in the mafia with shooting each other every day? I, th- I think that the thing is, is that this is what I discovered, Khalil. I discovered when you have poverty. And when you have people that are uneducated, and when you have music that perpetuate that type of lifestyle, when you have those three elements, you have a monster. And that's what's going on right now. It's too many people that are in poverty, there's too many people that are uneducated, and there's too many people that are feasting off negative music. Because. Well, not just music, entertainment. Well, period. entertainment, period, but music. Yeah. Uh, let me show you the power of music. I am a grown man right now. Right, I'm mm-hmm. 41 years old. I lived that life. I have to withstand listening to a lot of music like that because there's a side in me that will awaken to that lifestyle because I've lived it before. It's almost like a vampire who can't look at the light. It, right. It's that serious. It is that serious, and people don't know what they're dealing with. When you have that negative music, man, feeding the, feeding on the minds of young youth 
who have no direction in life. Yeah. My God, the music I, direction. I, I'm, I'm going to come. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute because the, n- this whole concept of negative music and negative entertainment is is a hugely rich field that some people deny and some people say that television and music and so on is the cause of all these problems that you're talking about. I don't think it's the cause of all the problems. But but it's an underlying... Parents, parents are responsible. Let's come back to that in a minute, but let's talk about some positive music and let's listen to some positive Absolutely. music for a second. <laughs> Jeremy, Mojo, Phipps and The Outsiders, let's play a song off your new album. What's the album called? Um, Looters. Looters. Yeah. Looters. Looters. Yeah. Let's hear Looters. Like let's hear something off it. What do you want to hear? Semi you. What's it called? Semi you. Semi you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it or just listen to it? Oh, um, I came up with this song. It's dedicated to one of my old, uh, well, my girlfriend right now.
Okay, Jeremy Phipps and the Outsiders off the album Looters, a song called Simi You. Yeah. Is the Looters available? Oh, yes. It just became available on iTunes yesterday. So wow, yeah, cool. There, so yeah. we can download it on iTunes? Yeah, iTunes, Amazon. Does anything yeah. exist in record stores at all anymore? Do you have to get it into record oh. stores? <laughs> no, I, I usually carry It's not available yet in the record stores, but I usually carry CDs with me. So you're playing all over the place? Yeah, all the time. Do you but, get out um, of New Orleans? Do you play outside New Orleans? Well, I'm just about to... Well, <laughs> I just got started like playing out of New Orleans and stuff like that. Like this weekend, I go, oh, got to go to Austin, Texas to go perform. And then like next month, I'll be leaving for two months to um, Minneapolis. Wow, excellent. Yeah. Who organizes all that? Do you put it all together yourself? Do you have a management um, company or anything? No, what it is is like... I have my own band, of course, but a lot of times I'm doing freelance work with a lot of different bands around the city and stuff like that. Oh, so, so you're going out on the road with other bands? Yeah. Who are you going out with? Um, well, this weekend I'm going with My Name is John Michael. It's like an indie rock band around mm-hmm. the city. And then um, in the next month I'm going to be with a musical, a musical play. And I'm going to be like performing and playing trombone on stage and singing and all that stuff. I'm, I don't even... Like as as far as my knowledge go, um, what what sort of a musical is it? Like a Broadway type well, thing? Well, it's or about a rock um, opera? it's about Buddy Bolden. It's gonna be my first time ever acting before. I, I, I don't I don't know that I have an acting bone in me. I never even tried. Amir it. can tell you if you're any good. Let's do an audition right now. Oh, To be or not to be? <laughs> what do you think? Has he got it? I don't think he got that. <laughs> I guess not to be. How did you, <laughs> not to be. <laughs> How did you get the part if you don't know anything about acting? Um, well, they mostly get me for my trombone playing and my right. like dancing. I know dancing. I yeah, I know. Oh, well, now we're on to a whole different <laughs> second line. He can sing yeah. and dance. Sing, That's sing, telling. Second dance man. He's yeah. telling. He's telling. Isn't that is performing and acting the same thing? Performing and acting is the same thing, but there's a difference. There are some people that can can act and sing. I, I think. I think. That's a high level of acting right there. Right. Like to do Broadway plays yeah. and you can sing and act. I mean, that's incredible. Right. I mean, I mean, that's you don't have that many actors actually that are uh, on television or on uh, uh, at the movies. You can go to the movies and see those type of people that can sing and dance. Very few. We well, don't have the late that. Gregory Hines, the late great Gregory Hines. Oh, yeah, Gregory is, Hines. Is, I think probably epitomizes that. That's, uh, well, you don't really have that anymore. No, we don't. No, we don't. So the no. song that's, and dance. That's right. truly entertaining. I know Jamie Foxx do a little bit of that, but <clears throat> mm-hmm. other than that, I don't know. Really. Well, right. then again, with a lot of musical, Broadway musicals and stuff, people do that, right? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But I'm talking about TV or art. Yeah, there's not like a theater, movie. You a couldn't theater, be a talented, yeah. right. uh, like there was a, ta- there was a whole tap dance in there. I can't oh, sing. That, that was you can't sing a note? I can't sing a note. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a terrible thing, isn't it? Wouldn't you like more than anything to be able to sing? Oh my God! Yeah, I would love to be able to sing. I think I think singing is is is. I mean, when you're able to captivate captivate people with your voice, I think that's incredible. You know, it's incredible. It's like the guy in Cleveland, Ohio, who was uh, homeless, and um, someone discovered him. They called him the said he had the golden voice. This guy, Ted Williams. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 And so that's the chance in a billion. I mean, what is what is the likelihood of that happening? He's homeless. He's in Cleveland, Ohio. It's cold. It's Rain Three strikes against you, right there, Cleveland. Right, right. On, addicted to drugs. Nine kids, Four. nine children. Nine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He had every challenge you can imagine, and someone discovers him. Right. Yeah, and he has this voice that when you hear his voice and you see him, it's so incongruent. I mean, 
It, it was such a contradiction. Don't you think he's a good-looking guy? That guy, I thought but he was pretty handsome. But, but look, <laughs> my thing was, like was looking at me like <laughs> Look, but my thing I mean, about it. That's the look, expert look, over here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So he you, ought to know. Yeah, well, you're, ask, you're asking the best-looking guy at the table. So yeah. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> why I thought he might know something right, about exactly. good looking. So, no, I, I just think that when you have something that you're uh, deeply passionate about, as obviously Jeremy is, I think that's the best form of prevention when we're talking about issues of crime uh, in our city, mm-hmm. that the one thing I've found that consistently will assist us in reducing crime in the city is providing opportunities for young people to discover their passion right. and to actually have opportunities to uh, to live that passion in a meaningful way. And the, the wonderful thing about New Orleans is that it's so rich in culture. I mean, whatever the negatives we say about the city, you know, murder, capital, and all those kinds of things, the, the, the culture, the overall culture uh, is so sweet. It's, it's, it's so full of genius um, that when we look at it, it far outweighs it far outweighs any of the negatives that, that we come up with, and that's why, uh, even though we're the murder capital, w- what I find is that we're talking about essentially 300 individuals um, in the city who have made us the murder capital of the country per capita. Is that really what you think? Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, and and the thing that we have to keep in mind is 94 percent of the murders committed in New Orleans are committed by African-American males. But the major percentage of people who live here are African-American, so it's yeah, not that yeah, surprising. Yeah, but, but 94% of the murders, and, and not only that, the second part of it is that we're the primary perpetrators and we're also the primary victims. So when you put those two things together, if we say that we're going to reduce murder in New Orleans, and you don't have a strategy that tar- strategy that targets African American males, you're not going to be very successful in reducing murder, and that's been the problem that we've had in New Orleans. Uh, as as wonderful as our new chief police is, um, who I support 100 percent, um, and NOPD, I support 100 um, percent. We have yet to articulate a co- clear, coherent strategy for addressing the fact that African-American males are the primary perpetrators of murder in this city. And until we do that, and which I understand is a very charged issue to take on because our city is so racially divisive and so, um, so saturated with racial politics historically that if a white person says the same thing I'm saying now, they're called a racist. Mm-hmm. Even and though it's actually even a fact. It has nothing to do with the facts. The, yeah. the fact of it being there makes people even more angry that a white would say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you have to now beat the table instead of address the fact. What happens, what happens when you say it? I mean, you well, when I say it, well, there's a problem uh, for them when I say it. On one side of it, uh, there's this attempt to simply say I'm an Uncle Tom or I'm pandering uh, to whites, <laughs> but then it's very hard to say that after I, after they find out I've served twenty years in prison. Yeah. So. So aren't you the guy to say it? I'm. I'm the perfect He's person the per- to say it. The perfect person. The perfect person. The perfect and so, person. which is why Amir and I, when we got together, understood that 
there was something very special about the work that we were doing as African-American men in this city who were um, unafraid to take on the African-American established leadership and say those things that are unpopular and uncomfortable um, to an audience that was unwilling to hear it at the start. But when the murder hits home yeah. and somebody's bringing you the bowl of potato salad because your child has been murdered, then you're open to having a whole different kind of conversation. The person who's bringing the bowl of potato salad is bringing it to the family of the people who have lost somebody. Absolutely. And they presumably understand exactly what it feels like to lose somebody. Yes. But does that hit home to the next kid who's going to pick up a gun? Well, what listen, you're saying? Here's what hit, hits home to the young person um, who is out there on the streets. You know, I, I call it the um, post, I call it post-Katrina stress syndrome. You, you have this uh, combination of anxiety and fear tempered with despair. Yeah. And we see it everywhere in this city with young people. Uh, despair w is, the, is the enemy of dreams. And so many young people um, are hopeful. They hope against seemingly overwhelming odds. Um, but what is lacking is those of us who say that we are concerned about the issue finding a way to translate our concern into direct action. Okay, so that's exactly the point right there. I agree. I totally agree. I, I mean, he couldn't have said it better. Um, one thing I want to add is, is, is that parenting is very important as well. You know, what I see is what I see at the schools that I teach at, parents, they, they have this, there's this gap. There's this gap of, of, of providing values to their kids. There's this gap of, um, of direction. I think, I think that I, I truly believe this, and I, I don't want to piggyback on what Bill Cosby said, but I do think that African Americans should put a hold on having kids until they understand the value and what it, and what it takes to, to, bring up, to bring up a kid. It's, it's very important. You cannot have a kid at 15, 16 years old because someone has to educate that kid. Yeah. That's the, I mean, someone has to instill values into right. that kid. Someone has to be there. The man has to be in that household. You know, my, my mother, who was a young mother, my grandparents raised me. And she didn't instill any values in me. But she, I mean, she went out and worked, but she didn't instill any values. So my grandmother, I kind of ran over her. So it was, it was upon my mother and my dad, who was a criminal himself, he was gone off doing his own thing. He wasn't there. So when you have that combination, man, you have, listen, you're going to raise monsters. And that's what we're raising. Because, I mean, these kids don't know. So what raised the kid? The television or music raised the kids. Parents are supposed to raise kids. Nope. Parents are obligated to raise their kids, and we're not doing a good job at it. So you're saying that, that African-American parents, are you talking about African-American parents only now? I'm, I'm, talking, about, I put my I'm, talking, about, I'm talking about parents at, I'm talking about parents in general, but I'm saying okay. we have a, a, an epidemic here with, the, with, with murder, because I, I, think, I think it's based upon parenting. It's just parenting. I mean, my brother came out, out of the Cali Housing Projects. He has a son that's playing basketball for Texas A&M. He has a daughter that graduated from UCLA. They're all, both of those kids are going to have degrees. And he came out of the projects. But believe me, when, he came, when his kids came home, you had to do your homework. It's no going outside playing. You do your homework. And you bet not letting me hear you cutting up in class. 
But, so, but he's not one of the 300 that you're talking about, Khalil. He, no. I mean, he's one of the No, but, no. but, 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 but he's out of the projects. But I'm saying yeah. he had great values. Yeah. He so had great saying, values. So we're back to this point that, we, that I said I was going to get back to before, which is the negative music and negative entertainment. You're saying that parents are abdicating their responsibility and the responsibility for raising children is being left to rock stars or rap stars? I totally agree. Or sports? I, I totally that, agree. Because you, know what, you know what parents do? A lot of parents, this is, this is all, black or white, doesn't matter. What they do is they pacify their kids. I don't want to hear you complain, go in your room and just do something. And what yeah, kids right. do is they put on their headphones, they listen to music, right. they listen to television. So what are opposed they? to sitting down and having an intellectual conversation with kids. But you're not, are you really going to be able to make parents change their behavior? No, you can't make anyone do anything. So how do you... I mean, what, what, what are the kids listening to? What is the negative music you're talking about that, and the negative entertainment that you're talking about that kids are being exposed well, to? Well, everyone. <laughs> I'm talking about... I'm to, listen, yeah. and the music... The music... The, listen, two, there were two rap uh, 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 companies that came out of New Orleans. Uh, no Limit Records and uh, Cash Money Records. Right. Uh, two of the biggest uh, 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 companies that exist. No Limit was the... I mean, when it was in the heyday, they were the, 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 the company to look to, and now Cash Money is. What I'm saying is, is that the music, the lyrics, kill a nigga, kill a bitch, fuck a whore, imagine you constantly hearing that. Mm-hmm. Every day you're hearing that. You're waking up to that. Are these, guys, are these guys aware that they're making these records? I think people are aware of that, but listen. But are they artists aware? Because you know these guys. They, they, listen, these people are totally cognate of what they're doing. The thing is, is this here. You, I mean, it's a business. It's just a business. Mm. Yeah, it's a business. It's the thing is, listen, I have a TV show out right now. I want people to check it out. It's on YouTube slash Let the Hood Talk. L-E-T-T-H-E-H-O-O-D-T-A-L-K. Let the Hood Talk. Right. And what the, what the show is about is I'm going into every entertainer's neighborhood, finding out particularly about rappers. Were they really gangsters? Did they really sell drugs? What are they doing for their community? I can, have I can have they placed <laughs> any, of that mu- any of that money into any learning centers? I'm going to talk directly to the hood. So for those guys, I'm going to be the guy that really exposed a lot of what they're not doing and, what, and who they're really who they're really not portraying to be. So you're going after these guys. I'm not actually going after them because there's a lot of guys that are out there that, that are doing a lot of great things. What I'm going after is the truth. I want the truth. I want to be the Bill O'Reilly of the entertainment world. <laughs> okay. Now that's, a, that's quite, a, uh, quite a call. I mean, I can, I can speak on that like from my brother's standpoint. Like a lot of music that he made, like it was just like beyond him or beyond like our family and all that. Even when I talked to him, like recently, I was like, "Yeah, so what was your writing process as far as like these albums that people just call them legendary or whatever like that?" And he was just like, "Man, that was some of the worst music I put out. Wow. It was just like, it was amazing? just for the money, and it mm. was just like they was putting out with sales." And he was just like, "Like he didn't do half. Of, it. of course, he didn't do it. Right. I know personally because I'm brought up from the same family. I'm from the same mama, same sisters, same brothers." And, like, a lot of his music was just, like, negative and just, like, killing and stuff like that. Did that influence your music? Oh, his music? Yeah, when, what, this experience that happened to him, did you, did, um, it, did it scare you mm, or make you think of musically a different way about your music? I mean, it didn't affect me musically. It affected me, like, business-wise. Like, far as, like, the, he, a lot of stuff that, like, I could see a lot of mistakes that he made far as, like, 
keeping like a good crowd around you and stuff like that. But um, before it's like musically, I mean, yeah and no, because I mean some songs it was just like he was actually bold enough to say a lot of stuff that was just a lot of all of it wasn't negative, of course. But like some stuff was like he was bold enough to say that, and then a lot of musicians get be afraid to say what they want to say in their music and all that. But I mean, his, his, I can tell you something about his brother real briefly. His brother was well read. He wasn't a typical rapper who wasn't articulate or well read. This guy, you know, he read about the Forty Eight Laws of Power, the the White Pale Horse. I would be on the bus with Mac. And I'm like, man, man, how do you know this shit? You know? And he was like, man, I, I'm reading these books. He has, he has, he would travel with books. So he, you know, his it, his mental capacity was totally at another level. I mean, he could he could talk about things that people should know, but really don't want to hear because it's not lucrative. Like he yeah. said, it's you know, if I'm talking about killing the dude, blowing the dude brains out, and selling some dope, I can make a gang of money with that. But if I'm talking about something that's intellectual, something to, to elevate me because music is supposed to inspire and motivate in a positive way, if I'm talking about that, I can't get paid. I mean, the people who own these record companies won't they they they, they, they won't even take your CD. Nobody nobody wants to release a record that's positive? No, no, what I'm saying is that they don't want to put money behind these albums because they want to keep you dumb. They want to keep you they, they want to mummify you. Yeah. They want to keep you stupid. Do you find that's true? That's there's a I, mean, I, mean, I, I, see, I see it's the market. I, I, I think that there's when we have to, looking at this in the broader uh, social culture uh, context, what we find is that antisocial values have been normalized hmm. to the extent that no one even raises an eyebrow at the fact that you have tens of thousands of black people calling each other niggers. <laughs> I mean, think about this. You have tens of thousands of black people saying, what's up, my nigger? Do you think that my the, nigger. Do you think that, that the idea of that assumedly was to, to neutralize the negativity of that there word was, by I, overusing I, I, it? No, I do not think there think so. was even the consciousness of a stone present with the use of that kind of language. I think what happened is that antisocial values as evidence not only in our behavior but even in our language became so normalized right. in our day-to-day -day environment yeah. and our thinking became so distorted and has remained in many instances so distorted as a consequence of our reactions to conditions that we did not see ourselves as being able to control. And so now what we have, and we say this in our work, incarceration is a metaphor for self-imposed limitations. And what we mean by that is the majority of people who, who are incarcerated will actually never see the inside of a jail or a prison because we engage in socially sanctioned forms of self-imposed limitations. In other words, I can dislike you for no other reason than the fact that you're white without knowing anything about you and surround myself with people who share my view to the extent that they don't even raise an eyebrow at the fact that I don't even know you and right. dislike you for nothing more than the color of your skin. Or I can, for no other reason than I'm a man, feel that in any relationship I have with women, I am supposed to dominate them and they're supposed to do what I say. Now, the, the former is called 
racism and the latter is called patriarchy. These two things are not instances that we'll go to prison for. I mean, no one will lock you up for patriarchal racism. Hey, but, this man but, is too smart for me. But, you're, but, you're, saying, but you're saying that we're all imprisoned but I'm by saying those we are, we are incarcerated precepts. By, right. by virtue of our self-imposed limitations right. and so, for the so how do you how do you shake off The those? key is if we're incarcerated before we're arrested, we can get out before we're released. And here's what I, what I mean by that. If you understand that it's your thoughts and values that have led to your state of distortion and self-imposed incarceration, then all you have to do is transform your own thoughts and values. Well, that sounds so simple. Well, all let I have me tell to do you something. Have a spiritual rebirth. Listen, and then you know what? That's, <laughs> I'll be a, whole, that's, I'll look, be a good and, person. And this is and this is why so many of us, on one side of that equation, we believe is true. That's why we can encounter a person who was a heathen yesterday and they tell us that they're a Christian today and we believe them mm. and then they actually go on to live a very uh, life, a life very different from their past um, even an example that we have biblically of a Saul who becomes a Paul I mean this guy murdered Christians that was his job his passion was murdering Christians okay. and then what I don't know. He well, transforms. But, but, okay. but have you, but have you done anything? He, how, how did he, he transform? There how was do we a have transformation. An, but isn't that transformation? Here's the problem. That transformation happens to ha, has to happen to us all individually, one at a time. We can't have a mass transformation in a oh, life. Oh, no. I think, that, I think that there are ways to... I think that there are ways to expedite the process. I think there are ways to make the process um, certainly much more pervasive than, than we've uh, ever imagined possible by virtue of media, by virtue of the tools of technology oh, that yeah, we I now agree. have available today. We're not using it in ways to, to, to raise consciousness as deliberately. So what we've done is we've depressed consciousness deliberately wow. through this. It, 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 in, in, terms of, in terms of the market value of popular culture, um, you, have, you have the best of all of it. And see, that's why I say that, look, we have the negatives and we have the positives. Now, the question becomes, the, and I mean, there's nothing more powerful to transform a life than a personal relationship. Right. Obviously, that's at the heart of it. Right. But if we use the tools of technology that we have today to leverage for purposes that are good and that are uplifting, that, are, that represent literally the collective good as well as the individual interest, then what we see is something very different happening. That's what a public health campaign is about. Mm -hmm. when, when we approached smoking, for many, many years, we didn't get good results. But when the minute that we turned it into a public health campaign... Okay, so that's a brilliant example, because that's a mass movement. Absolutely. We all had a perception that smoking was fine, and it was sexy, absolutely. it was great. And now we all have the opposite perception, that right. you're basically a pariah if you Exactly. Smoke. So how do you do that with, with violence and negative? culture. How do we do it, though? How? I mean, let's, oh, we've, got, we've, got, I, right. we've got six minutes. Okay. Clear, <laughs> <laughs> hey, clear. Let's say something right, right quick. Uh, back to the word nigger, right? Uh -huh. Jay-Z was on Oprah, and Oprah, right. and he was saying that Oprah said she didn't, she didn't understand that word nigger because she came, she came up in this culture where she was about, she's about 50, so she understood what, you know, the effects that word had on blacks. And Jay-Z came around and said, okay, well, I, you know, now I use the word as positive, right? Right. And she, she succumbed to what he had to say. And I'm saying to myself, I mean... Just think about it. Now, Jay-Z is a powerful rapper. He's married right. Beyonce. <laughs> yeah. He tells Oprah, than yeah, he tells Oprah, okay, I use the word nigga because, you know, I turn it around, I make it a positive. And now, because he's Jay-Z, 
she succumbs to that. So Oprah's and, going around saying, my nigga. Uh, uh, my no, nigga. My nigga, nigga. absolutely. <laughs> that, that's the power, I'm telling you. That's yeah. the power that the rap culture has. Well, Oprah's and a good person, though. Oprah's a good person to, not, have, to have to neutralize that. I am not, not saying it went the wrong way. Oprah's not we a bad support Oprah. Oprah, we, we love you. We love you. We want you to support this broadcasting network. Oprah, we want you to support what we're doing here in New Orleans. Oprah, we love you. No doubt about it. But I don't agree with her with that. I don't agree with because I think we need to hold hold steady to our values. Hold steady to what you believe in, man. Hold steady to what you believe in. I mean, if I was sitting next to Khalil and I didn't agree with Khalil right. on something, I said, Khalil, yeah. listen, brother, I agree with you on 99% of what you're saying. The, the 1% I don't agree. Right. Because I, I hold steady to my values. Let's get back to the 99% yes. that we agree because you've hit on something absolutely incredible here. If we could turn ourselves around the way we t toward each other yes. and toward violence and toward murder and yes. the cheapness of human life yes. and, and all the other stuff that we're talking about that's bad, that all these values that are permeating up badly from entertainment and from entertainers, the same way that we changed our attitude towards smoking, yes. that would be the most amazing thing that could happen to the United States of Absolutely. America no in the 21st century. You have to tell us how the, to do the it. Critical, I think the critical um, thing that happened in the movement to change attitudes around smoking is that number one it was turned into a public health uh, campaign and as a public health campaign what the strategists did is they looked at who was the primary target for increased sales of tobacco and it was young people okay so we've got to first identify who's the primary audience who's the primary target for the next generation of so-called criminals it's young people. young people. We're crystal clear about that. So what we have to do is target young people. Like I'm saying, if we want to reduce murder in New Orleans, we have to target African-American males, <laughs> concretely and specifically. How do we target them? You t there's a number of ways that we target them. Number one, we begin to produce messages in popular culture that appeals to their interest in ways that inspires and motivates them and organizes them around their own interests where they don't have the consciousness to do that. You, do you understand what I'm saying, Oh, Jeremy? yeah. I know a great example of that. They have a rapper called D1. Yes, D1. Uh, yeah, he's, he's been, like, getting all into the... It's like, I know a lot of people that's, like, that's, you know, people that listen to Wayne, Lil Wayne and all, and everybody else, but then they not in their little playlist, they have D1, and it's just yes. like one positive person and one person putting out something. Absolutely. Now imagine we did that strategically. Imagine that we begin to engage record labels because you have to leverage popular culture in order for this to really take off and, and grow exponentially. So you engage the major sectors where pop popular culture is being, uh, being produced um, and, and being marketed around the country, around the globe and then you engage those sectors of the economy that are the mass producers and distributors of popular culture and you sit down with them and say here are some things that we have as challenges as a culture just like we're doing with technology we're saying we want to lead the world in technology guess what you get those people who are producing leading technology right. and you engage them around a collective interest a strategic goal that's not uncommon we're doing but it at are, other levels is, is anyone doing this well, we are, we are we doing are, it. That's doing. what we're doing. That is, that's why I have my man with me. Right. I mean, he's a kid. I don't. I mean, I met this kid at school. He's a great kid, smart kid, thirteen years old. He's in my he's in my class, right? But he's a bright kid. So he called me up. He calls me up today. He said, "Mr. Mir, 
I'm bored, man. I don't have nothing to do. I said, okay, I'm going to come pick you up. You can come and hang out with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's but that's, that's, a, that's one kid, and that's a great no, thing, no, obviously. No, no, but but how is, do we do that on this huge... Because those people, who say, those people who say they are concerned about the issue Beautiful. have to turn that concern into direct action, action. through personal relationships with the people who they believe are going to be the next round of criminals. We have to okay. get involved. I'm, uh, someone's listening to the show right now. Yes. And they're saying, yes, I agree. I personally would like to do something. Yes. What, what do they do? Support. That's all I can say. If you can support something that's positive, if, you, if the people, you can't deny people. Like, they can have these big record companies. They can try to sell albums to, you know, everybody with all this bull crap that they're putting out. But if the people not buying, if the people reg, just regular people not buying, then like you can't, they can't work around right. it. Like you can, that's just like D one. The only reason why he's able to get on like MTV and like all this stuff like that is because he went directly at the people, and it's just like the people like his stuff. Everybody likes his stuff, so they can't deny if the people like it because the people are buying. A proven practical way to transform lives is through mentoring. A concrete, personal way for each of us to transform the life of another person is through mentoring. Mentoring is the vehicle in our work to develop, to build positive relationships with individuals who otherwise might be our enemy, might be the person who is the criminal coming through our our door, coming through our window. If we simply take the time to reach out to someone who may at first be unfamiliar to us, but dare to love deep enough to say that I'm willing to take the chance to touch another human being whom I don't know as an act of love, as an expression of the highest form of love that I have as an individual, I guarantee that those of us who dare to do that will achieve more than we ever set out to and will achieve more than we ever believed possible. No, I, don't think, I don't think anyone could say anything greater than that. And I don't think there's anywhere to go after that. <laughs> do, you, do you think? I no. mean, if, if everyone has to actually do something individually themselves. Absolutely. That's the power of the people. The greatest thing about this man, I always tell people, he committed crime, credit by fraud, transferred. I mean, he was a street guy, but then he educated himself. He knows. He knows. He has the answer. You're the man who has to do it. Well, this is, this is, this yeah, is where we are, and this is why we work together. This is why we do this work together. And Jeremy, I'm, I'm so proud of you. Absolutely, no doubt. We are so proud Jeremy, of you. Jeremy, we're going to get out of here in just a minute, but before we do, we have to play another song. Off the album Looters from Jeremy Phipps and the Outsiders. Uh, all right. so what's a positive, upbeat kind of a song? All of it is. That we can go uh, out with. That we have, um, I think we're doing St. James Infirmary Blues. It's featuring um, a Scott singer that I know named Maddie Rootless. Let's take a oh, listen to wow. it.
Jeremy Phelps on the outside of St. James Infirmary. I'm a, a fan. Great I'm a fan. treatment of that old song. Beautiful. Who is the woman singing that? Oh, that's Maddie Rutgers. She's a um, she's a local ska singer slash DJ. Wow. Very nice yeah. indeed. Very nice. The album is called Looters. The band is Jeremy Phipps and the Outsiders. New Orleans Brass Funk Rock. Available on iTunes. Yeah. And we'll have a link to it on our website as well. Go look for it. Jeremy, thank you so much for coming down. Oh, thank joining you. Joining us for, here at the Collins Hotel us. today for Happy Hour. Amir Barakat, thank you so much Absolutely. for joining us. We can see you it's on the HBO series Treme. Treme, a movie coming up. Uh, my Love Song with Forrest Whitaker. Also, uh, once again, I'm hosting a, a TV show that I produce called Let the Hood Talk. You can go to that at YouTube slash Let the Hood Talk. And uh, it's a VH1 show. It's, uh, it's an amazing show, man. It's, it, it's, it's, it's going to really uh, expose uh, what a lot of entertainers are doing for their communities. And well, congratulations on getting that thing going. That's Thank a you. very daring move. We have a link to that on, on our site as well. Absolutely. On NewOrleans.com. Kalila Cyrus, founder of the Circle of Courage. You are... The Circle of Courage. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. We have a link on our site as well, on yes. New Orleans, to your, to your work. People who want to find you and can want to yes. do something yes. can do so through the Circle of Courage and find you Absolutely. as well. Thank you, gentlemen, for coming down and being Thank part you. of Happy Hour today. I'm Grant Morris. It's New Orleans Happy Hour. comes to you live every week here from the Collins Hotel at 3811 St. Charles Avenue. The Collins Hotel is a great place to come and have a cocktail if you're already in New Orleans and a great place to stay if you want to come and stay with us here. Our show is produced by Tanya Castellanos, Melinda Hawes, Trish Kaufman, Mitch Cry does all the technical direction here. Cliff Brigden does all the web work and puts us up on the international web. Is it called that or is it called the World Wide Web? Worldwide. Thanks very much. <laughs> Christian Unruh selects all our music and puts it together. If you'd like to be on our show or know someone who would, would like to be a guest, drop us a line at itsneworleans at gmail.com. Mitch Foreman is back in our studio on the piano. It's New Orleans is a production of uh, itsneworleans.com. Check us out and check out our other shows. We have tons more happy hours up there. And also check out our other shows, Psych Wood, and more shows to come. Have a poke around on our website. Links to all our guests are there. For Mitch Foreman, I'm Grant Morris. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm.